Key to carve out a weekend. And um, just grateful for the Lord, the way the Lord multiplies that. Well, this is, uh, oh, so next Sunday, uh, I'll be interviewing Ted and Don, and really all we're trying to do is set them up in a place to brag about what God's done in their lives. And uh, so uh, I hope you've had some good opportunities to invite some people to come and to hear that. So a totally different kind of service next week. We'll obviously sing and worship together. And then uh, I'll interview them. Uh, we have one person that's following the Lord in baptism that I know of. If you know of somebody else uh, that I've missed or slipped through the cracks or they've decided this morning they want to do that, why well, just come right up at the end of the service because uh, we would love to help uh, whoever you are be obedient to the Lord. Uh, this baptism is particularly exciting uh, because it's a result of someone we baptized, was it a year ago, Dennis? A year ago at this service. And he led his sister to Christ, and uh, it's just cool stuff, just really redemptive stuff. So, really looking forward to that. Um, so, this is our last Sunday on the book of Proverbs, and I guess I could have probably have figured that out based upon the number of Proverbs that were sent to me this week, which was, want to take a guess? Zero. Until Dick Gibbs handed one to me actually through Roy, uh, as we came in. This is good. I've read this a few times. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. Ooh, that's good. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to get lazy. It's so easy to settle for less than God has for us. Good, better, best. Never let it rest. So the good is better, and the better is best. Now, I know you all have Proverbs rolling around in your hearts. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you one minute. Stand up, find somebody outside of your family, if you're here with your family, and tell them your favorite proverb. Okay? Stand up, go. Okay, time's up. All right. So the point of Proverbs, the point of any proverb is it's, it's a truism that works in real life that's just distilled down. And again, it may represent a particular culture, it may represent a particular relationship or family, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, but what we're looking at is the Proverbs that God has given us because they tell us about His culture. It tells us about the way He made the world to work. That when we live according to His way, because we've listened to Him, it works. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't suffer 
Doesn't mean that those things won't happen, but we come through those things with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and meekness and self-control. And, and, uh, and He provides what this world cannot provide. He provides what nothing else, and it causes us to experience a life that comes from Him. And so we've kind of last week captured the book of Proverbs in kind of this picture. There you and I are. And God has created us to live in His love and His life. We are naturally self-destructive. We are naturally hell-bent on what we want. And we naturally think the world revolves around us or should revolve around us. And thus, we get bent at things, we get angry at things, we get frustrated at things, we step on people, all kinds of things happen. And, and God has done such a work so that we can move back under His love and live life, life, in the way that He intended it to live. How do we know what that looks like? He has given us wisdom. He has spoken he has said clearly things, and we're going through this class on looking at the Romanian pastor and his wife who were horribly persecuted during the Russians after World War II. And, uh, and we just looked at some verses. How do you not return evil for evil? How do you overcome evil with good? That's the wisdom of God. How do you bless those who curse you? See, all that is, is the wisdom of God, and He speaks these things that we're thinking, you're nuts, dude. First of all, we have problems when we call God dude. But if you're going to say He's nuts, you might as well. You might as well just get the full deal, wrath. He has spoken these things in His wisdom, and thankfully, He hasn't just given us objective truth and sayings. He's related to it. He's intimately involved with us. Because he alone can deliver his love and his life, not just truisms. And so, the great statement that pops up several times through the Proverbs is, trust in the Lord. Or a related statement, fear the Lord. And it's just, uh, just two different sides of the same coin there. Now, we've spent some time in Proverbs 3, and we're going to return there this morning. So, turn over to Proverbs 3, grab a copy of the Scriptures electronically, uh, paper out of the pew in front of you. And we're going to look uh, really at verses 18 through 20, primarily verse 18. Now, we're going to jump around to some other places. Um, but I thought it would be good just to reread this all the way down to verse uh, 20, just to remind ourselves and give us some of the sense of the flow. Uh, Zeke preached on verses 1 through 4. I did verses 5 down through verse 17, but I stopped at 18 because in 18 we have this picture of what it means to live a wise life that goes back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve and goes into the future of the new heaven and the new earth. And I knew I didn't have time to develop that when I went through this, so, and I wanted to save it for the conclusion in our study of the book of Proverbs. So, here we are. Let me, let me ask God's blessing upon His Word here, even before I read it, and then I'll read, you can follow along. 
Spirit of the living God, you're the one who ensured that these words got written down. And boy, are we grateful that somebody put them in English. But Lord, we're just as dependent upon you to take these words of yours and to use them in our lives. Lord, this has probably been a crazy week for most of us. And uh, we've heard things that we shouldn't have had to hear. we thought about things. We've even put things in our own head that we shouldn't have. And we've said things. And God, we need the washing of the water of your word. We need you, Lord, to confront those things that are not of you and literally to replace them. And so, Spirit of God, as, as we read through this, would your word be living and active? Would you accomplish the beautiful purpose for which you intend it? to bring a greater degree of your love and life to each and every one of us. And it's for your glory that we pray this and for our good. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let me begin in verse 1. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck so that other people experience them. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you live with them. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, you could just as well say my daughter, do not Reject or take lightly the discipline of the Lord, or loathe or resent resent his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. How blessed is the man, how blessed is the woman who who finds wisdom, and the one who gains understanding For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. All her paths are shalom. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies drip with dew. May God use his infallible, inspired, and sufficient word in each of our hearts and lives. 
Well, I stopped, as I said, at the end of verse 17 uh, last time, because in verse 18, you'll see that wisdom is equated to the tree of life, the tree of life. And what we find is that this tree of life is only mentioned at the beginning of the Bible, first chapters, the last book in the Bible, and here in the book of Proverbs. Now, that's just a fascinating deal, and there's, there's just a lot going on with this picture that I want us to capture this morning. We're going to spend a lot of our time talking about how wisdom is a tree of life to us individually, <clears throat> because that's what 18 emphasizes. And then we'll look at two other Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that talk about how it's a tree of life to the people that we are around, how it brings the life of God to the people that we are around. So, first of all, how the tree of life is a life-giving tree for us. Now, let's go back to the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1, and you'll see uh, four references there where the tree of life is used in the second and the third chapter of Genesis. So, go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Let me actually read verse 8 and then verse 9. Genesis 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there He placed the man whom He had formed. <clears throat> Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst or in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you'll know that God warned them about not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verse 17, well, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may free, eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And what did they do? They ate. They ate. And death and destruction and disease with God, uh, relationally, uh, all of that can be traced back to this choice of Adam in eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, let's jump over to verse 22 of chapter 3, verse 22 of chapter 3, because here's the next reference to the tree of life. <clears throat> after the Lord walks through the consequences, verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken." So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So what's going on here? Well, there's all these trees, and in the middle of the tree is this tree of life. And, and to be certain, it is, as one commentator said, it is to remind us that God has made ample provision for life. And, and when you think of life, don't think of life like we have it right now, because life and death are so mixed uh, relationally with God, 
with our bodies, with this world, you have to think 100% life. No death, no destruction, no disease, no broken relationships, no nothing. And he puts this tree of life in the middle of the garden to say, I'm sufficient. I have made adequate provision for you to experience life. Life. Now, the other tree forms a contrast, if you will, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so these trees kind of represent in so many ways two different ways of living, two different ways of, if you will, experiencing the life that is in front of us. One is a life where a person lives in faith towards God. One is a life where it's faith in themselves or faith in other people. One is the life that is lived by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You listen to God, you do what He says, you don't do what He says don't do, and you experience life. It is a life of dependency upon God. The other is, is this good or is this evil? Let me try it. Let me try it. i got to learn this lesson for myself. Or I'm going to learn from other people. We often call this the school of what? Hard knocks. Yeah. It, it's a life of independence from God. I'll figure it out. It's, the, it's an arrogant life because it says, I'll have more faith in myself than God. And... And eating of that results in a lot of damage. Damage in relationship with God, a lot of beating of other people up, a lot of crud in our own individual hearts. I mean, it just affects everything and not in a good way. Now, it's not always obvious quick. Because sometimes eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil seems right and pleasant at the moment. The fruit doesn't come in until some years down the road. And it's one of the things that's just important to keep track of in the midst of cultures and, and what pops up on the radar screen. And know that ultimately God's ways are going to be shown to be the right and the honorable, the life-giving and the loving ways. Unfortunately, our world, since this incident, and certainly our American independent <laughs> spirit, which has some real upsides, highly values the school of I'll figure out what is good and I'll figure out what is evil, and totally discounts the voice of God, totally discounts this word, and consequently, the beatings continue, the, the corpses are lying all around, if not physically, hearts that have been brutally traumatized. Now, thankfully, God didn't just say, you made your choice, live with it. Thankfully, right here in Genesis 3, he gives a verbal promise of a solution to this whole thing. 
He does that in chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. Better, he shall crush you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, he's going to bring some damage to your offspring, who we know is the Lord Jesus, but he's going to deliver a deadly blow to you, Satan. And then he lives it out in a, in a form of giving a picture of what's going to happen in action in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And so God killed an animal, an innocent animal, and clothed the guilty pair. A picture again of the coming of Christ, the innocent one being put to death for the guilty to cover their shame and their sin and all of their eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and restoring them in a measure back to the tree of life. And so what we see here, and by the way, it seems that the tree of life would just confirm a person and take away death from them in whatever moral state they were in. And so if they have eaten of the tree of life and lived in dependency upon God and His Word, that would have been what they would have been confirmed into. After they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was an act of the mercy of God to banish them from access to the tree of life, for that would mean that this would be our existence for eternity. And so thankfully he cut off the tree of life. But interestingly, he promises it in the future. Turn over to Revelation. And so access to the tree of life is lost. Turn over to Revelation, and the tree of life is mentioned, what, four times there. Revelation chapter 2, and then the 3 at the end of the book. Revelation chapter 2. This is the revelation that the Apostle John got concerning Christ. And so much of it has to do with him bringing the fullness of his kingdom in and into the new heaven and new earth. But in, in chapters 2 and 3, he writes to churches addressing what they're doing well and where they're sitting. And at the very end of the first letter there to the church at Ephesus, look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so here is a promise that comes from Christ to the Apostle John, begging the believers at Ephesus, who evidently have been very faithful in confronting evil, but doing it in a mechanical way, doing it in, based upon their own competencies, uh, doing it in, in their own abilities. And remember, he says, you've left your first love. I want you doing this out of a relationship with me. Return to your first love. And if you'll return to your first love and live your life in Christ, if you'll fear the Lord, if you'll trust the Lord with all of your heart, then uh, I will grant you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. By the way, to him who overcomes is not a special group of Christians. 
It is people who, when they bump into things, they choose the path of faith because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And consequently, whenever you choose the path of faith, you always overcome. That's John's favorite, one of his favorite sayings. This is the victory that overcomes the world. What is that victory? Our faith. Our faith in God. So we're not talking about a special class of Christians here. We're talking about those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And the promise is that they will be granted to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What was lost in the Garden of Eden, they will have a chance to partake of again. So go back to the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. The tree of life is talked about three times here in this chapter. And just for context, chapter 21 Verse 1 tells us, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. So we're talking about a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. In that new creation, verse 1 of chapter 22, then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the what? tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing or bringing life back to the nations. And so we see this full access to the tree of life there in the new heaven and the new earth. What was lost through sin in the Garden of Eden, is restored immeasurably greater in the new heaven and the new earth, the tree of life. And it brings healing to the nations. Go down to verse uh, 14. 14. Well, let's go verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. What's going on here? He's saying very clearly that there are two groups of people, two groups in humanity. There are those who have, to use this term, washed their robes. What does that mean? That means they have come by faith to Jesus Christ, and they understand that they're guilty before Him because of their sinfulness, their independence, and they understand that Christ has paid for that to cleanse them of all their sins. And then they live a life out of that relationship with Christ as followers of Jesus. This is some of what the Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Peter in the upper room the night that he was betrayed before the Last Supper. You'll remember he came to Peter and he started to wash his feet, which was the most menial task that could be done in that culture. And what was Peter's response? No, 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 not me. Can't wash my feet. 
And Jesus said to him, uh, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, uh, you don't have anything to do with me. Now that's a statement of who's in charge right there. And he says, well, then wash me all over. And Jesus says, no, you've already been washed. If you're clean, you don't need to be washed all over. You just need your feet washed. But he went on to say, but there's one of you here that isn't clean, Judas. And so those who are washed is a picture of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and are following him. And the others are those who rejected Christ. They continued to live a life independent of God. And consequently, they're outside. Go, back, go down to the very uh, end of the chapter down there. Let's begin at verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Let me just pause there. That is a horrific statement. If you don't understand how horrific that is, read the book of Revelation. Mm. What's God saying? You're not free to come up with your independent word from God. You take what I said. If anyone takes away from the words of the brook of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. You say God says something when God hasn't said it? Dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground. Not just dangerous for you, but dangerous for the people who pass it on, to, to whom you pass it on. You've just passed on poison, spiritual poison. God and his wisdom are a tree of life. Just pass on what he says. Don't change it. Don't modify it. Pass it on. It is wisdom. It is life. It is love. Well, as I said, the tree of life is in Genesis. We saw that. It's in Revelation. And then there's four uses of it in the book of Proverbs. And when we get to the book of Proverbs, we find out how to access the tree of life today. So go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18. Paradise was lost. The tree of life is cordoned off. God makes some promises. And what the book of Proverbs says is, is when we live in his wisdom, it's as if we're eating of the tree of life. It is a tree of life to us. It is a source of the sweetness and the, and the, the nutrition of what God's word is to us. And so let me just read it again. She is Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. So let's just look at this for a few moments here, because this is for us today. Now, we'll get to the tree of life in paradise. That's ours. We can't get back to Eden. But this is for us today. And I don't know about you, but 
I want, I want to eat of this tree. How about you? Now look at this. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to, they, to those who take hold of her. What does that mean? It means that there's a, a path in life where you suddenly realize that God's wisdom is a tree of life. I mean, you may not think of it that way, but His Word and His ways are in an entirely different category than what everybody else says and thinks. All they're doing is the knowledge of good and evil, and a lot of it's right. But it doesn't give you any revelation about who God is, and it doesn't save you from a lot of hard knocks. And you just realize that God's wisdom is an entirely different source of truth that brings life to our lives. And when you realize that, what do you do? What's it say? Okay, let's read the thing that's circled there. Those who what? Now, what does that mean? This needs no interpretation. The Hebrew says the same thing. The Chinese, I bet, says the same thing. Doug's not here to affirm that. What does it mean to take hold of her? It means you let go of everything else and you take hold of God's Word, His wisdom, this tree of life. You can't hold on to both. It's like you're in a life-threatening situation and you hold on to what has made you secure to grab on to what promises to get you through safely. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? <coughs> and you release it all and you take hold of her. You take hold of wisdom. You take hold of the tree of life. You take hold of what God has said in His Word. And happy, the word happy is an interesting word, <coughs> has nothing to do with circumstances, as this verse makes clear, has everything to what you're holding fast to. Uh, some translations will probably say blessed. The, the root word for this is actually the word that, that, that is the, it, it makes straight. It makes right. It, it, it corrects you and gets you on the right path. It's related to Proverbs 3, 6, which says, and he will make your paths, what? Straight. It's a related word. Because when you're on the straight path, when you're on that path that God has for you, it bubbles out, it comes out in a way of happiness, in a way of blessing. It, it manifests itself that way. And, and who's that available to? What's it say? All who hold their fast. Is it available to you? Yep. Is it available to me? Yep. What's the condition? We hold her fast. And the great temptation is once you become a follower of Jesus because you recognize the beauty of who He is and His wisdom is you get conformed to the world that you live in and it's easy to start releasing Him. Oh, His Word doesn't really mean that. And you start releasing that and holding fast to something else. No, 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 no. The happy life, the blessed life, the straight life, so to speak, is for all those who keep 
holding fast to the tree of life, to the wisdom of God, to the Word of God, to Christ Himself. To Christ Himself. So how do we eat of the tree of life? Well, we recognize that there is none other but Christ in all of His beauty and what He has done for us on the cross through the resurrection, today praying for us, and soon returning and getting us to that heaven where the tree of life is there. And we leave behind everything else and we hold fast to Him as Matthew did, leaving his tax booth to follow Jesus. Whatever it takes, we leave it to follow Jesus. And then that leads into a life of holding her fast. Holding her fast. The disciples learned this. They had to learn it over and over. But you might recall in John chapter 6, the situation where Jesus had said some pretty hard things. And they, they just didn't have a place to rearrange their lives to what he said. And so they dismissed it. And it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. Where else would we go, Jesus? You are the tree of life. I may not know exactly what you're saying, but I believe your word. I believe your word. I'm so grateful for so many and uh, just hear seemingly more and more stories and accounts of people here at Calvary who keep choosing to not just take hold of Christ, but to keep latching onto him. And I'm so grateful for a lot of you, middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students, who are in the midst of classrooms, where the teacher sets it up that you'd be an idiot to believe in creation that God created. And I just am so grateful for some of you who have, and then, they, then the teacher says, so anybody believe in creation that God created? And I'm so grateful for those of you who raise your hands Say, yeah, I believe it. That's holding fast to the tree of life. Or with all that goes on in the other moral areas of life. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for you who are in the workplace, who do not stand and listen to the conversations that are so inappropriate because you're choosing to hold on to he who is the tree of life. That's the way that we stay on the blessed path. That's the way we enjoy the love of God and the life of God. And quite frankly, then we have something to offer to people. (laughs) Then we have a lot to offer to people. And that's what the other two uses of this is. Uh, I don't think I'll do that this morning. Uh, now we have a life-giving fruit for others. This is the other, two of the other three uses in the book of Proverbs. The fruit of righteous, of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever wins souls is what? Wise. So the fruit of the righteous. If you're partaking of the tree of life, you have life to offer to other people. 
the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. What would some of the fruit of the righteous be? Well, we could go to the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the righteous is love. The fruit of the righteous is joy. The fruit of the righteous is peace. I can't say I'm separated. Love, joy, peace, patience with people specifically. That's the use of that word. Uh, Kindness and meekness and self-control. And that's a tree of life to the people around us. Now, they may not like it, but it is life. It is life. And whoever wins souls is wise. Whoever gets people linked up to he who is the tree of life is what? Wise. Wise. Is there anything better to spend our lives doing than that? The answer is what? No. No. Live our lives for Christ. Help other people experience the salvation of their souls. And Jerry already dealt with the tongue. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. And the opposite, a perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And so we with our tongues have the ability to be a tree of life to other people. Now you might say, so how great is this wisdom? Why should I eat of the tree of life? Why should I believe what God says? How does his wisdom compare with the wisdom of this world? Because I keep hearing about the wisdom of this world, and boy, there's a lot of things that I've learned uh, by eating of the knowledge of good and evil and saying, ooh, that works, ooh, that doesn't work. I mean, uh, aren't we grateful for what can be done in hospitals today because of that? So there's a lot of good that comes out of that, but how does all that compare with the wisdom that comes from God as the tree of life? Look at verse 18 and 19, or 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. What's he saying? He's saying go out and just take a plant, put it under the microscope, try to figure out how that plant works. Could you have come up with that design? The wisdom of God did. The wisdom, I mean, we try to understand it. Could we have come up with it? Could we have designed it? No. In fact, everybody who understands it still can't design it. They can't replicate it. And if you want to move on from that, move to your cat. Figure out how your cat functions. I'm not talking emotionally. No hope there. I'm talking about the body, the physical body. They need food. food. That's the knowledge of good and evil right there. It's good if they eat, it's bad if they don't. Could have just listened to God who says, it's good for you to care about your beast. (laughs) Anyway, look at the human body. Did man's wisdom come up with the human body? No. Who did? The wisdom of God. How great is the wisdom of God and the tree of life compared to the wisdom that we can gain 
as great and as marvelous and as much as we benefit by it, it doesn't even compare. And the amazing thing is God has given us an opportunity to eat of his tree of life. He's given us an opportunity to live by his wisdom. And I can't help but end right here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. One of the great beauties of being people who actually understand some of these forms and dig into them deeply is their sense of awe gross. And they haven't even come close to the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. Say this with me. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to that we say, amen. To his glory forever, amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Is there some place where you're choosing to eat of some other source of wisdom rather than the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the tree of knowledge? And you just want to spit that out right now because there's something so much greater in it, his wisdom, his life. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to him and to feast yourself on the tree of life, feast yourself on the wisdom of God, and to do it in a very specific arena if the Spirit has put his finger on some arena. Could be that you've never turned to follow Christ as your Savior. It could be that you have turned to follow Christ as your Savior, but quite frankly, you're holding on to a lot of other things that are incompatible with the tree of life, incompatible with the wisdom of God. And you need to release those things, repent of those things, and say yes to the wisdom of God. Say yes to God. Spirit of God, I thank you so much that we have access to the tree of life. The only limitation is how much we're going to hold on to you, hold on to wisdom, and live it out. We bless you for being a God who has a life for us that isn't just eternal, it's abundant now. And we thank you for this fresh reminder to let go of whatever things we need to let go of, maybe even the good, to hold on to the best. We bless you. Thank you for being such a good God. We bless you and thank you. It's in the name of Christ that we give thanks. Amen.